0: Hi friends, you are listening to the EntreEd Talk podcast, where we feature amazing educators and entrepreneurs showcasing how you can bring entrepreneurship into the classroom. We believe entrepreneurship is for everyone. I am your host, Toy Hirschman, and I am so glad you chose to join me on this journey. Let's go. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another awesome episode of the Entre Ed Talk podcast. I am your host, Toy Hirschman, and I have with me a brand new great friend, DeAndrea Taylor. She is the founder of Mindset and Milestones, which is an amazing curriculum and website. And she leverages the unique skill sets of entrepreneurship to close societal gender gaps by starting with supporting girls. She's pursuing her PhD in education and organizational change that sounds really hard (laughs) to better understand how educators can support young women in reaching their career aspirations, particularly in underrepresented domains, she has interviewed worked with and learned from over 100 entrepreneurs. And as she fell in love with the startup space, she recognized entrepreneurship as an amazing tool to encourage innovation, goal setting, and boldness in girls as a, at a time when gender inequality is still a reality, unfortunately. Using her insights from mentoring young women like herself through service to Women Founders Foundation, Girl Scouts, and so many more, she has developed her own social enterprise. Like I mentioned, it's called Mindset and Milestones. And we'll give you all the juicy details of how you can check that out in a few minutes. Welcome, DeAndrea. I'm so excited to have met you and so thankful to our friend who who connected us. And welcome.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Toy. I'm happy to be here.
0: This is great. And I will give a shout out to Rob at ELI Mindset who put us in touch. He's been on the podcast before and we're very thankful for that because I think this is going to be a great relationship to, for infinity. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I am excited. This is only the beginning.
0: Awesome. So before we dive into all of the cool things that you're doing, not the, I would really love if you would share with our audience sort of a little bit more about your your journey and how you got to where you are today and how you got into all of this. I think that they would be really excited to hear that.
1: Amazing. So I started with entrepreneurship when I was an undergrad at UCLA. At the time I was studying psychobiology, which was basically just a psychology major for people who thought they wanted to be doctors, like myself. Um, And at the time I was really interested in being a pediatrician i was interested in the medical field and healthcare um, but i had an opportunity to do undergraduate research or rather to have the chance to do my own study so i applied for that opportunity and i unfortunately didn't get it but i did meet a really wonderful set of people who helped me get into research and when i thought about what i was interested in researching despite my you know interest in the medical field and other things I really went to education and equality, particularly the representation of women and girls in certain higher education fields like computer science, um, like physics and business and even finance in particular. So as I thought about that, I had a lot of questions around what kinds of things Contribute to this underrepresentation, but also what kinds of things need to be different on a structural, on an organizational, institutional level. Because there's a lot of conversation about what girls need to do differently, or women need to do better, or change about themselves. But I'm very interested in how can we support women and girls, but also how can we change the systems that might make it more difficult for them to access some of these places, whether that's in you know educational pedagogy or them not feeling like there's space for them in these environments, or even just the sort of social cues that they receive from the different kinds of people that are in the room and what that signals to them about whether or not this is the place that they should belong to. I am interested in learning about that so that we can make change. That said, I also was introduced to entrepreneurship during my time as an undergrad. And when I first got into entrepreneurship, I was separately interested in this problem of leadership gaps in society and you know something i talk about all the time this idea that everywhere where there's money and power involved more often than not there's going to be fewer women than we need so we think about tenure track faculty members being underrepresented gender wise we think about congress members but also of course we talk about female ceos being far from any kind of gender parity. And so when we ask these questions about who's at the table when we're deciding big things about society, these were things that were coming to my mind. And I used entrepreneurship. I picked up a minor in entrepreneurship. I had internships at startup companies with, you know, organizations or nonprofits that were just finding their way um, and really trying to give myself some experience with what it looks like to be an early part of something foundational and trying to figure out how to build it. Some of those went well, some of those did not, but all of the things I learned from those experiences allowed me to put together a curriculum that, one, would be effective in teaching girls the skill sets that entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial mindset have to offer, but also giving them an opportunity to have exposure to fields that they might not have felt they were ready for or that might not have been for them. So that's sort of the long and short of when it happened um, and a little bit of the why, but we can get into more of that as
0: well. Awesome. Wow. Psychobiology, (laughs) that's a new one for me. That sounds, that also sounds hard. (laughs) Wow, that is, that is really cool. I love, I love that you, it seems like the, the coolest things that happen is when you are, when people stumble into things. And cause I think that's where you find your, your passion and your, your drive. But I love this idea of empowering women and girls. And some of the, some of the statistics on your site are absolutely staggering. I didn't even realize that it was that just that there was that much of a gap. Um it was like 6% of CEOs or something like that. Yeah, um I mean it
1: up one we're about 7% now.
0: Like oh well yay. <laughs> it's in the right direction. Um but that you know that's really staggering to me because and and can even in some place that in even in, in Congress it was like 24% which is a lot more than 7 but it's still it, that's still not not great. Um, but I just I, I love that that you're that you're doing that and you're trying to to bring that to girls. Something else that really blew my mind on your site was this the statistic about even even young women who have a 4.0 average don't feel empowered or confident enough or self efficacious enough to pursue their dream career or field. And that one kind of got me in the gut because. I'm like, that's me, that's me 100%. When I got out of school, I did well. I went to college, I did well. I went to grad school, I did well. Um, And even now I have a 4.0 and hopefully I'm getting ready to graduate soon with my doctorate. And I'm still kind of like, did I phone it in? Did I, you know, there's still that little, I don't, more of me doesn't feel that way, but there's still that little nagging thing. I wonder if you could talk to that and how, some of those social cues and things that you mentioned happen for young women and how we really need to change that that narrative and and just that that feeling that we kind of have as a group of people.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so I can reiterate the statistic for, for clarity for anyone listening. So it's the 30% of high school girls with a 4.0 GPA or the highest GPA registered at, at their school did not feel smart enough to achieve their dream career. And so when we think about what it means in traditional education to be successful, it means to get A's, it means to do exactly what is expected of you. And so we often find, and this is also replicated in research, that you see that girls who are, very highly sort of overachievers, have a lot of difficulty sometimes with creativity or working within parameters that are not very defined and set because their goal at this point is to get everything right. And there's another founder, the um, founder of Girls Who Code, her name is Rashma Saojani, for those of you who haven't heard of her. She has a wonderful TED Talk called Brave Not Perfect. And she speaks to part of the concept that she saw this same thing happening with girls in their in the coding classes, that instead of asking for help with a screen that had errors on it that showed that they had tried and got it wrong, they preferred to ask for help and sort of show a blank screen. They're like, I just don't know what to do. I haven't started, or you know, what have you, because it was better to do nothing than it was to be wrong. And I don't. I think that thinking about this not from a deficit framing of girls, but more so from the ways that we tell girls are supposed to be. This starts very early, right? If you fall on the ground, don't do that again. It's not that you you, you get up and try again. It's that that was too much for you, or that you. Should probably avoid things that lead in this kind of outcome, and so you know we repeat that with the monkey bars, right? They fall off the monkey bars. Don't do that again. That's dangerous. And then eventually, the monkeys, be, the monkey bars become computer science classes and AP courses or college classes or just trying something they've never done before for fear of not doing it well. That I'd rather not do it at all. And I think that entrepreneurship is a way to start to untrain. Some of that thinking because it's really difficult to undo. It's a lot of folks in sort of, you know, psychology and sociology that think about this as like a good girl complex. That the idea is that you've been raised or, you know, socialized to believe that you should do everything correctly and that your value comes from being perfect, which is exactly what Brassal Dani talks about in her pot in her TED talk. That if your goal is to be perfect, then how do you try things, how do you explore things where you don't know whether or not you're going to be good at them? It seems more valuable to just not. And so if we change that framing to things like bravery, and I talk about this in my curriculum as well, what does it look like for you to be brave? Because that's a very personal thing. For some people, bravery feels like jumping off of you know the world's highest building attached to a bungee cord, of course. Um, but that's something that's very terrifying for them. They're like, this is what it means for me to be brave, for me to do something that terrifies me. And for other people, bravery is like, I'm gonna challenge myself to ask one question in class because it's just really, really hard for me to do that. And so I think that given the opportunity want to one talk about what things we're afraid of and why we're afraid of them, but also to embrace Bravery in the sense that we're doing those things anyway and finding a way to do that that makes us feel like we can accomplish them is one step. But then entrepreneurship as itself, as a concept and more so as an experience, give girls the chance to say, you know what, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it's not even that they feel like oftentimes that they're being, you know, brave or any of these things. It's just that that's the nature of the work. If you want to do something as an entrepreneur, there's absolutely no way that you know it's going to work. You can collect your evidence. You can try to, you know, gather everything you need to make you feel comfortable. But at some point, you're just going to have to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put this in front of people and be vulnerable enough to take their feedback, to offer this thing that has come out of my brain and put it in the world in a way that makes me feel very uncertain, and that has to be okay. And so as we give girls the opportunity to get comfortable with this, my hope is that that translates into other spaces so that they have developed this mindset or this capacity for uncertainty and trying things regardless in a way that allows them to be successful in college, in the workforce, whether or not they choose to start a business.
0: I love that. I love that. You said two things right there that made my made my light bulb light up. <laughs> you talked about first about mindsets and then also about experience. And we, we, at Entre we talk a lot about that because we really truly believe that entrepreneurship needs to be delivered in, in more of an experiential way whenever possible, because that experience builds that confidence. And so if I'm in school and I'm in a safe place or if I'm in a camp or if I'm, you know, whatever, however it's delivered, but I'm in a safe space where I have a mentor or a teacher or people supporting me and we're all kind of going through this process together. And it's scary, it's uncertain and it's scary. It, it you, you have to be brave. Um, but if we're doing it in that, that's like the most safe place you could possibly do that in. So you're not just jumping off the cliff by yourself. And then that way, you know, once you experience that and you go through that struggle and you might hit a you might hit you know a problem and then you have to pivot and then you or you might start over and but just going through that and getting comfortable with that time and time again when you're out there by yourself you go oh i've been here before you know and i'd love for you to talk about that and and also talk about your about some of the things that you bring in when you when you teach mindsets through your curriculum as well? Because that's a, oftentimes mindsets are confusing because there's so many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. We got growth mindset and fixed mindset and entrepreneurial mindset. There's there's plenty to go around. Um, but in terms of, you know, I'll start with the part of, of what are some things that I have observed when it comes to sort of experiences making the difference. So one thing that I do in my curriculum is I actually encourage them to not only build an mvp but i really push them to share that with people write down the feedback that you receive what did people say but more so how did you feel additionally because we take these learnings we have people who come you know come to us and they give us ideas they give us thoughts sometimes people might say yeah i don't think that's a good idea
0: can you explain mvp to, to people that might not know
1: Oh, absolutely. So MVP is minimum viable product. And it essentially is sort of a basic, I use the word representation when I describe it to students, of the thing that you want to build. So it for me, and I think many others, it's very different from the idea of a prototype, because a prototype is building something that sort of is a first working version of the thing that you eventually hope to be the final solution. And MVP doesn't actually have to be a version of that thing. So if you are one of the best MVPs um, that we've seen in terms of just you know entrepreneurship, if you are thinking about a company like Zappos, right? they sell shoes online, that was sort of how they started. Their MVP was that their founder took pictures of shoes, put them on a website, sold the shoes. And then when someone bought the shoes, would go to the store, pick up those shoes and then ship them. There was no infrastructure, there was no inventory. This was simply a way to understand, do people want this? Will people buy shoes online? And so that's sort of what MVP is for. And when I talk to students about it, I'm like the only way that MVP really works the way it's supposed to is if you're spending little to no money building it. And then you're actually able to get learnings from real people about if this is something that they would like. Is this solving the problem that you believe it does in a way that actually makes people's experiences, lives, you know, whatever that is, somewhat better or improve or at least less annoying? Is that something that we observe when we get our, our learnings from the MVP that we put out into the world? And when I talk to students, they find that it's actually, it feels very strange to share these ideas with people because they're like, I've never really done this before. I've mostly just, you know, developed my own ideas. And in a lot of entrepreneurship classes, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great first step um, that there's this, you know, more, abstract concept of building an idea, and then, you know, looking up the research, and then you actually build a a pitch deck, and then you share that with people, and now the class is over, and you can go and, you know, do with that what you will. Maybe you'll start, maybe you won't. I have found that students, particularly girls, and and given my mission of confidence um, and self-efficacy and agency, I found that they gain so much from really taking the idea and putting it in front of people, whether that's on their social media, it's you know, putting out flyers at their school and seeing how many people respond, that there's a lot of, of growth that happens when they're able to get some of those real outcomes from real people. And in many ways, also is the encouragement that they need to start this idea in a very tangible way. If they have 5, 10, 20, 50 people coming to them and saying, this is really good. And I think you should do this. I think you should actually try this out or build it or move forward with it. And so I try to give them as many chances as possible to really try it and see if this works. And if it doesn't work, that's great because we learned something. So how do we make it work or how do we change it so that it works better for the people that we're trying to design it for? So design thinking is a large part of of the way that I teach, but also I use a lot of the experiential learning principles that reflection is absolutely necessary to learning, especially experiential learning. What was this like? What was successful, what was not, but also how do you feel about it? What are things that challenged you, that pushed you? that made you uncomfortable? If those are things that you don't feel like you want to do moving forward, how can we adjust this experience so that you can get the most out of it the next time that we do it? I think learning how to check yourself and sort of check on yourself when you're thinking about new things is really important to students because I hope that they will engage in that same kind of thought if they choose to be computer science majors and they're sitting in a classroom, they're like, I don't like how this feels. I don't like how I feel when I try to raise my hand. I don't like how I feel when I'm talking to a group or I don't like what my professor said or what have you. The, knowing that you have agency and that you can identify this as a problem and you've been here before to, to the point that you made earlier, you've been here before. How do we evaluate the situation and then figure out a solution that works for me? So I think those are the things that I find most important to making these skills translatable as a mindset. Not just that you know what to do when you have that idea, but also that you know what to do when you come across a problem that's making you feel like you can't be your best self or that you can't put your best foot forward, that there is a way to adjust, that there are things that we can do and we have to try all
0: of them before we choose to leave.
1: Especially if this is what we want, we know it's what we want.
0: I love that. I love that. That first step is such a doozy though. When you you know, making that first presentation and being vulnerable for the first time really, especially from a young woman who's been the good girl syndrome type of mm-hmm. type of young woman where, you know, that's like that's a real hard step and so it's but it's so important to lean into that because if you know this is what you want ultimately to have your own company or or just if you want to be in if you want to work for somebody else and be, you know, and be able to be really, you know, really present and really a big part of that organization, you have to, you have to do those things that are really uncomfortable. And again, if you, if you have those experiences, then you know, when the next time you, you come up on a challenge that you're going to be able to face it and go, and, and I love, I love what you talk about, about being, present with yourself and checking on yourself because that's something that we don't learn in school about how to say how high why is this making me feel super uncomfortable right and instead of running away from it you know it's pick the fight not the flight
1: (laughs) right and i'll say like even just with the idea of like presentations i find that giving them opportunities to to sort of be vulnerable with their ideas before they get in front of people actually makes them more comfortable when it's time to do their final pitch at the very beginning of the curriculum when they come up with that with a problem and then you know a sort of mini solution i have them talk to a parent a, a friend a peer a teacher and we actually write down the feedback let's do positives let's do things that we need to improve on let's do questions and then let's reflect on this experience what was it like to share what were things you know did you find i know myself i actually designed part of that lesson for my you know 12 year old self 13 year old self because getting feedback in any capacity that wasn't resounding praise made me either very sad or very defensive. Neither one of those were productive for making growth. And if you're a student who's had this experience of everything you do in the classroom is right or that you always you know, do the things exactly how it's supposed to be done, getting feedback that's not praise feels like failure. As opposed to an opportunity to grow. So I take as many opportunities as I can within the curriculum to give them that exposure so that when they get to the pitch event at the end, they're like, okay, I know that feedback is helpful, that it's productive. And even if I'm not completely there yet, mentally, I can at least logically look back on some of these other experiences that i've had in these safe environments with people who care about me or are interested in what i'm doing and say i know that whatever they say is to help me so how do i go into with that with the framing of i don't need to do this pitch right because there is no right what i need to do is communicate my ideas as clearly as possible so that people can give me the best possible feedback
0: i love that i love that that's such a big mindset shift To go from feeling like that that piece of thing is whatever is is communicated as criticism versus this is a way, you know, this person doesn't hate me. It's not about me. It's not about like an attack. It's about they're trying to help me. They're seeing an issue that I can fix. And that's a that's a hard shift sometimes, especially especially for young women that are, you know, They've never really had that whole lot of those experiences because it's just like, I'm going to be quiet, put my head down, and do all the things that they say, and and so that's that's a tough one. I remember the first time that happened to me, and I still have that little gut check every time if you know if I give a speech and somebody says, "Oh, that was really good," except da 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 da, and I have to I have to tell myself in my head like I feel like I'm standing in my head talking to myself, <laughs> going. That wasn't a criticism. You forgot the whole first part where they said this was good. <laughs> you just you just go focus on that one thing that was so so. That's that's a huge mindset shift, and it would I mean that it alone could make amazing changes for the way that a person feels about herself. And um, and it's really neat that you give them that experience early on. Um, I, We love the design based thinking process too, but that that experience early on for them to communicate their ideas with an audience and gain some of that feedback. Um, I actually did an exercise with with ELI Mindset one time and I just thought I had the coolest idea for a product and my audience knows what I'm talking about. But, But turns out once I did the once I did like the, I went to strangers in town and asked them the, you know, about this product and they all had the same problem I did. I'm just going to say it. It's, it's this idea for like the lotion pump bottle where the lotion, the last inch doesn't come out. So frustrating. <laughs> and then you have to take it apart and it makes a huge mess. So I just thought that everyone in the world has this problem, which many people do, but what i found out from customer feedback was that they don't really care about it as much as i do <laughs> so that was so that was a big eye opener that i just thought no this is driving everyone nuts and a solution must be found but most people are like yeah i just throw it away so
1: <laughs> that's a positive experience yeah it was and i think that's the part that sometimes we miss or the you know that it's hard to get um because every piece of learning, this is something I've learned from research and also from entrepreneurship, everything we learn is useful. Whether we learn that that study, that, you know, that question that we had, the results were actually not significant, that this is not something that, you know, we observed that that was a thing, that is learning. And this in some ways, like what if you had gone out and you're like, you know what, I know that this is a problem, I don't need to ask people, I'm gonna go start building that prototype. And then you waste money, you waste time, you waste energy. On something that people really don't, you know, people express that they don't need, and so learning that and having that experience, and being like, "Wow, I'm so glad I just saved my time," is excellent, and it's something I've I've observed as well from a lot of the entrepreneurs that I spoke to. One woman was working on this project. Um, she was making her and her team were making something out of a particular kind of wood. It was great. Whatever they designed was, you know, wonderful. But she's like, it wouldn't sell. Nobody would buy it. We did this for months went to different places, tried to sell it, and and it wasn't happening. And then one brave soul somewhere said, I don't wanna be mean to you. She's like, please give me the information because apparently I'm missing something. He said, nobody's gonna buy it in that color. If you had put it in one of these two colors, because these are the ones that are specific to our industry, I would put it on my truck and take it to my shop right now. The color, it's not going to allow you to sell. After that, switch the color, Sales are great.
0: That's incredible.
1: <laughs> but, but being in a space where you're like, I need the feedback, even if you don't know how to deliver it nicely. And obviously this takes time to get to, but eventually like, you know, we want to be in a place where even if someone doesn't necessarily have the, the language or the capacity to be like, well, I think that it's, you know, really great, except for this thing and this thing, if they just give it to you straight, this could save you lots of time and money especially when you are actually building something, right? When you're past the idea phase and now there's real money and time and people on the line, that this is the difference sometimes between success and failure, that being not only comfortable with that, but also excited. I am excited for feedback at this phase and you know, where I'm at with my own entrepreneurial journey, but it takes a lot of time to get there. And so if I can give them one starting point To start to to understand that, then eventually the emotional capacity to deal with that will
0: follow. That is so great. It's so important. And I'm very sad about my lotion pump bottle thing. (laughs) (laughs) Understandably. (laughs) I've been working on it for years in my mind. so talk about, so talk more about mindset and milestones and, and kind of the curriculum and your framework, because it's really, it's really well done. It's really beautiful. And I, I love, I love the process and all of your different domains. because you share a little bit about that with our audience? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So mindset and milestones is that we've shared as a curriculum that is geared towards teachers at this point. Um, and focused on the learning of girls in entrepreneurial mindsets, but also developing entrepreneurial ideas that hopefully they can choose to pursue and gain some experiences of their own. Um, In terms of the actual curriculum and the things that we think about and the way that it was designed, I really start a lot with giving them agency. So we talk a lot, we do a lot of activities where they're defining words for themselves. We think about words like confidence. Um, What does that mean anymore? People say it all the time, and at some point, it kind of loses its punch because what does it actually look like? So that's one of the first things that we do is we talk about what did these words that sort of float around, like what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to exercise confidence? What does it look like for you to exercise bravery? And we sort of inject this this opportunity for them to engage in sort of an agency-oriented kind of activity, but also we use the first module of our workbook and our curriculum to really center girls, figure out where you are mentally, emotionally, with your mistakes, with the things that you, you know, you've done with the things that you want to do. Where are you at? Because we find that this sort of, you know, person-centered approach gives them the space to actually dive into the ideas in a way that they can leap with more of their whole heart. Because we've talked about the fear already. We've discussed what makes us afraid and what makes us change our mentality or limit our ability to think about what's possible. And so after we've dealt with that, then we jump into, the problem identification and all of those things. But we're very much centered around introducing an activity or a concept rather in a way that is very approachable because that's another thing that scares, especially, you know, young women who are in some of those age ranges where it is a lot easier to be insecure or to think about insecurity because those are a lot of the messages that you're receiving that you're not enough in some regard, whether that's from social media or from these good girl mentalities that we've developed or what have you. So We spend a lot of time trying to make sure that the curriculum and the words that we use are very accessible. This is for you, and I tell students all the time, you know entrepreneurship. You might not know that you know it, and you might not have the language, but these concepts of you know, do people want it or not, and supply and demand, they're very natural in a lot of ways. So, how do we give you language that allows you to push with that? So we give the vocabulary and we, you know, do some of those things, but our main piece of focus is giving them the chance to exercise it. So all of our activities and the way that we approach curriculum is very student driven. Like what can we get? What can we give you to inspire innovation? To inspire identification of problems? To inspire ideas? And then how can we support you as we do that? Um, are the focus and so all of our activities center towards their experiences and what they'd like to pursue and actually building out an idea in a very scaffolded way. And after every section that we have, we encourage reflection and have very pointed questions about what kinds of things um, we want them to ex- to explore mentally, emotionally, as they reflect on this experience, you know, what was it like being vulnerable? Like we talked about, how do you, what's your relationship with money? How do you feel about finance? Um, I have had, that's one that I'd love to extend on in the future because I've had so many students come to me and say that they want to have nonprofits, um, because there is a discomfort with making money or that there's still the stigma around money being greedy. Um, And so I try very hard (laughs) to help students understand why the cycle of money and moving money in different places and money changing hands, um, and that it's it's not a bad thing for them to have some of their own because they can do more with that. They can do more for themselves. They can do more for their families, but they can also do more for the world if they have control over how they spend it. So even if they have nonprofit ideas, I always encourage them to think about what does it look like to have earned revenue? Earned revenue is money that you bring in through something that you offer, whether that is a service or a product um, or, you know, just an opportunity for other people to support people. How do you make it so you can bring in your own revenue? Because if you control your own money, this is true in business and also in life. If you control your own money, you control your next steps. You control what you do with that money. You control the purpose and mission for that money. And being able to do that is what allows us to build on problems to make solutions that we care about. And that's another part of the reason why I find it so valuable that the classroom itself have space for girls in particular. I've had students who, you know, in co-ed classrooms who so I've talked to you before. Um, and, you know, think about it, like being a 14-year-old girl and you have an idea for a period product that would make it easier for tweens or teens who don't have regular, you know, cycles or have discomfort or what have you that that's a real problem and has a lot of different, very complex, you know, aspects that they might not feel comfortable exploring in a room that has, you know, if not an equal amount, most likely, more than likely more boys in that space. How do we talk about this? Like, I know I wouldn't feel comfortable in that environment, but this is so important because we see the same phenomena, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We see the same phenomena mimicked when we see female founders who are solving problems for women, by women, and they're looking for investment from largely male venture capitalists or investors. I have done some of those pitches before in some startups that I've worked with and truly had, you know, some of the VCs look and go, well, I'll ask my wife, but I don't know about this. I I don't get this.
0: Yeah, you're right. That is so uncomfortable. (laughs) I have a funny. Sorry, I we used to be an engineer back in the day, and I went to Playtex. Um, I did some fiber optic stuff, and there was a, a they had their plant, like their manufacturing facility, needed some some help. And I remember going in there and seeing all of the feminine products everywhere, all over the offices and stuff, and all the engineers in their department, and they were mostly men. And I was just, I got this like, whoa, how does a how does that even happen? <laughs> like, and I kind of was like. All these guys are designing, hmm. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you're right. I Like being a being a teenage girl, ugh, I, I wouldn't, I don't, that would be a tough one.
1: But if we, but I also think about the solutions we lose out on when they don't have the opportunity to explore these things. Because I tell them all the time, your perspective is valuable. And I don't say that because it's the right thing to say or because it's nice. I say it because there is money in knowing what people in your demographic, in the situation that you're in, there's money and there's impact in knowing what those problems look like so that you can develop a solution that actually fits the pain points that we actually see, not ones that we think might be logical or ones we assume to be the problem, but the pain points that actually exist. You have unique perspective. That's why Gen Z, there are, I know a ton of folks who are making a lot of money getting you know advertising and marketing deals from bigger, older companies trying to reach young people because it's too hard. It's too hard to do it when you don't have the perspective. So I try very hard to convince them very early on that this the space that we're in, what you're coming up with right now, this is real value. that you having perspective and experience, a background, growing up in this generation, all of these things are valuable insights that are going to allow you to create things or see problems that other people don't see. Use that. And if we can't give them the space to use that because there are other factors in the environment that's making that difficult, then how do we access it? How do we unlock it?
0: Yeah, that's that's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned finance because we run up against that all the time. It's such a difficult area with with young people. And, and this, I've heard that before where it's like, you know, we are uncomfortable, you know, making money. That doesn't seem right. You're not, supposed, but, but like you said, you can't have impact if you don't make money and you have to also whatever gift you have or whatever you're putting out into the world, you have to live also and also buy groceries, <laughs> And you know, so you you know, you have to consider all of those things, and um I love, I love, 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 love that so many young folks are thinking that way at the same time as they need they just need to broaden their you know, broaden their mindset, I guess, a little bit in that in that regard. but you know it's it's always been heartwarming when I go into a school, and i these young people, I'm asking them about their ideas, and they have these amazing social entrepreneurship ideas that at fourteen, I was like, I sell candy and make money and, you know, (laughs) I
1: don't (laughs) have an incredible idea. Absolutely incredible.
0: I think that that's, I I just think that's so amazing. I love how you set up your curriculum too, that you're, you're taking them from where they are. And so many times with something that's new to students like entrepreneurship they don't have a lot of times they just, they don't have enough of a background or of intuitive idea about what it is that it's hard for them to connect to it. It's like, that's, that's, that's so far away from me. I don't, you know, but when you can bring their, their unique backgrounds and by start starting by giving them these, these amazing experiences in agency and confidence and building their own you know, their own language around themselves. I think that that's so beautiful. And then you can scaffold onto that because now you've built that background for them. And I think that's, that's such at first, that's best practices. <laughs> pedagogy. <laughs> so good on you for that. But, but that's also just a great way to get them in there and get them comfortable and have them be able to drive their learning, which as we know, is the way you empower students and the way you motivate them. And it's just human nature. When you feel like you're in charge, you're more likely to be interested in what you're doing. Yes. That is, that is wonderful. Um, So uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, (laughs) so talk about how, um, how you built your curriculum online and, you know, how do you decide, like what made you decide to jump and, And do that because that is, I'm an instructional designer. So that is a, that is a difficult thing to, to build. And I'm sure it took you a very long time.
1: (laughs) So I originally, my first product was a workbook that was for girls and we still sell the workbook. um, And students have a great time working through that independently. But I was finding that the real difference maker was both having the workbook, having the opportunity to explore an idea, but also in having a mentor or a group of people to bounce ideas off of, to support you, to hold you accountable, and also to continue to motivate you and inspire you. So I moved from a more individualized product to um, a product that I thought would be more you know, beneficial in a group or with you know, a, an organization of girls. And so as I started to... To get the workbooks out there in classrooms and in organizations, um, particularly some of the teachers that I had, I had you know provided some workbooks to. They asked me questions about like, "This is great, I love this. How do I integrate it into the classroom, though? Like, what does it look like in a school day? Do you have lesson plans?" And I said, "No, <laughs> no, I do not have lesson plans, but I can if that is something people have an interest in." So I did sort of see that that was was a piece of demand from teachers, which is in a very entrepreneurial fashion. You respond to need and then you you just go forward. Um, So I developed lesson plans, which I have about 30 hours of those now in the curriculum itself. And I developed the lesson plans in Google Slides. I just kind of moved things around hold them from my brain. I would say that's something that is one of my personal superpowers is coming up with things that I think would be fun and engaging and have shown to be so for my high school students. Um, And so that piece of it probably took me a couple of months. But then at that point, I went back to the teachers and said, I did it. (laughs) I have the lesson plans. I made them. And they're like, great. How can I buy them? And I was like, oh yeah, I should probably think about that because I can't just give you PDFs. That, that makes sense. So then I had to think again, like, okay, what is the next step now? How do I put this somewhere where it can live, um, and you know, also be um, a protectable asset for the business? Because we do work from a perspective of making sure we can have this access to as many places as possible. But to subsidize that, we want to make sure that the the folks who can't afford to, you know, provide payment do that so that we can make sure to, to continue to get to the places where we want to be as well, but necessarily don't have the funding um, to do so. And especially that we're early, you know, stage in this, like wanting to make sure that we can have that as part of our mission, even as we build our own revenue, our own, you know, growth, but have had a lot of really fun success in that regard. So, The point being, we had to develop an online way to have people access it. One for the pricing aspect of it as a business, but also that I am very sort of, my mind moves really fast. And I always wanna change things. I always wanna add things. I always wanna continue to create value. And so I felt like having it somewhere online would allow that to actually live. Um, It to be sort of a living, breathing place for teachers to access content that wasn't static and that was moving with time. I found an instructional designer who was focused on um, designing online-based curriculum opportunities. I interviewed lots of different people to help me out with this. um, And most of them were kind of caught with the idea of a course. And I was like, well, I don't want a course because that's not what I've observed from the teachers that they want. They don't want someone to tell them exactly what to do. They want content that they can come back to and use in a way that feels comfortable for them. And so I really designed it and I looked for someone who could help me design it um, to translate in my mind that I wanted it to be very modular. I want you to be able to click on what you wanna go into that day. If you are a financial literacy teacher and you find it useful to, to bring in some entrepreneurial principles and you wanna use our finance module, you go to the finance module. You don't have to click through a bunch of things to get there because it's a course and you have to do it our way this is a resource for you to be able to use. And so I found someone who could help me bring that vision to life. Um, We did some searching about like what kinds of online platforms worked best. And we actually ended up using WordPress to make this happen um, with some other like fun integrations. But it was really designed around how do we make this fun? How do we also make this sort of a combined like slide deck for teachers, So it's not just the curriculum, but you can also use it as a slide deck to display to students. So it cuts even more time out of your routine in terms of what you have to develop. And as someone who also teaches entrepreneurship, I know that that was a big pain point for me. How do I make this easier that I don't have to think as hard about my lessons um, and really sort of keep this as, you know, as turnkey as humanly possible. So those were all the things that we thought about as a design. And then it really came down to finding someone who could take the things in my head and put them in a way that made sense with it also it was visually very fun and interactive and and you know aesthetically uh, interesting and, and um, appealing to look at. So that was sort of the journey, but definitely a place where I found someone who was more suited to this skill set than myself, because sometimes the best thing you can do as an entrepreneur is get help. Yeah,
0: (laughs) definitely. I love that you did that. You hit like all the bells are going off because that's so such an important point that, you know, teachers are so, so bombarded with so many things. I mean, they, you know, it's like, I can't add one more thing. So what you're doing in effect is not only are you giving them control over what they decide to use because they don't have to follow this, you know, new curriculum outline the, the way that a lot of curriculum is set up where it's, you know, you do number one and then you do number two and then, you... <laughs> um, but you're giving them the opportunity to, to kind of pick and choose and make it make the most sense for them in their classroom with their unique needs. And we we talk about that at Entret all the time. That's just, that's something that's so important because the, the turnkey idea of I can use this, this is perfect, this fits here. And then, okay, well, this one fits over here in this class and this fits over here and giving them the ability to move and shift and do things that make sense, that can, you're basically, you're doing the same thing. It's kind of very meta. You're doing the same thing with teachers that you're doing with the students because you're giving them authority and ownership over the process, which is which is perfect. And by the way, y'all check out the website because it is it is absolutely gorgeous. Whoever you found did an amazing job. And I'm sure that a lot of that was was collaborative, um, but it is gorgeous and it's so easy to navigate. And um, I think teachers just absolutely love love it. Love it. It's very well done and um, love to talk to you about potentially collaborating and maybe we can share some of your resources with our membership and stuff because that would be, they, I'm sure they would love to to see that.
1: Yeah, I actually have a free downloads page on the website, so folks who are interested in kind of checking out some of the things that we're doing um, and some of the content as well. I particularly recommend our activity book. It's about 40 pages, so just go crazy. Have fun with it, show it to students, give it to them. You can use it as work, you know, workbook pages, um, whatever is useful to you, but it is a really, I would say, robust introduction to the way that we do curriculum.
0: Awesome. We will put links to all of this stuff in the show notes as well. So folks can find it very easily. Um, So speaking of, speaking of teachers, what advice would you give an educator that is listening to this podcast and going, man, that sounds great. I am going to go and check that out, but I'm kind of scared about doing this in my classroom because I'm, I'm a teacher. And as much as I love this idea of entrepreneurship, I don't, consider myself an entrepreneur, what would you say to that person?
1: I would say that the best thing you can do is first to think about your mentality, right? Being an entrepreneurship, you know, I would, I like the word facilitator more in so than teacher because you do not, you won't have all the answers. And I think that that's traditional method of school, where it's like the teacher has all the answers and knows how to do the things, um, and just disseminating information, is not the way that entrepreneurship classes run. At least it's not the way that I prefer to run classes, and many of the other folks I know, um, because it's about sharing the experience. The class doesn't work without them. It doesn't work without their ideas and pushing them forward. So I think in whatever domain you have, whether you're a math teacher, a Spanish teacher, as many opportunities as you can to add, to get them to ask questions that you don't have the answers to and that they actually feel inspired to go find answers to themselves, that is how you get inspired learners, learners who have their own interests, who have their own passions and actually feel like they have the agency to find answers to those questions. That just because the teacher doesn't have the answer doesn't mean this is unfounded knowledge and it will never, it's not there. Um, so I would say that starting with any opportunities to give them chances to do that absolute win. Now, on the front of being an entrepreneur, if you wanted to, like, give students entrepreneurial experiences, or maybe wanted to add that to your course load, or an after-school club, or something like that, you can also find support anywhere. Like, there's tons of things online. We also have our free activities, but the best thing for you to do is to really just give them space, and like, let's talk about it. What are your ideas? Because as an entrepreneur, all you do is ask questions all the time. You ask questions, and you try to find the best answers, and that is perfectly okay. And so you being a teacher, it's your job in that space to say, how can we ask questions together? How can you get them to ask good questions? How can you as a facilitator, as a coach, as a mentor, ask better questions? Because those are the kinds of things that will propel ideas forward. So you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to engage with them and sort of be on the journey and and engage them as equal participants in this space that we're both learning, we're both figuring it out and hopefully your, your experience as a teacher, which I think it will, um, if you're listening to this and are already thinking about ways to be better or to be you know, more helpful to students, your experience as a coach, as a teacher, will allow you to do this in very effective ways as long as you allow the experience to be led with their desires and the things that come to their minds.
0: That's awesome. That is that is so true. That can be a little uncomfortable at first for teachers, but again, yeah. it's kind of the same thing as the students. You gotta put yourself in that space. And we 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 have teachers that have that experience. And as soon as they do, they're like, Why haven't I been doing this forever? Like this was great. I remember t- teaching math when I first started teaching and I got something completely wrong. It was algebra. It was, it was just wrong. And I was like, I could feel the hot the heat on my face. Cause I was just trained, like, this is how you do it. You have to be right all the time. And I remember some brave young soul telling me that I was wrong. And I just and I immediately like calmed down and went, yeah, that was really dumb. <laughs> but so glad that you figured that out. And let's talk about what I did. And and that changed the whole game for me, that one instance. And, um, but it's it's so true that like, you don't have to be perfect, but sometimes in a lot of the pedagogy courses, they kind of push you in that direction. And so that's a hard mold to to break out of and go, I don't know how to make the next, you know, the belt with a grappling hook on it that's going to sell them I don't know (laughs) but let's figure it out together you know and that's that's such a such a great such a great way to be as a teacher because it makes everything way more fun and interesting too And, and like you never know what's going to come at you and it gives you a chance to really express your creativity as well through your students so I love that Well, so how we're coming to a close here. So uh, we've kind of mentioned it before, but let's just give them all the details. And and can you share with folks how they can reach out to you and find you if they want to know more about mindset and milestones, if they want to know more about what you're up to, all of those great things.
1: Yeah. So I highly recommend you check out our website um, and I believe that will be linked. So just kind of poke around we have free downloads we have information about our curriculum um, about what we do and the best thing you can do if you want to sort of explore is you can actually download a demo of our online platform of curriculum. So you can get that straight on the site um, and just click around and see if you like it, see how it is. And if you wanna talk more about it, feel free to email us or at our, you know, on our contact form. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love talking to new people and meeting new folks who are interested in innovating in education. So um, my LinkedIn is also available. I can also provide that to Toy, but that will be on my website as well. Um, but I'd say those are the best things you can do is to sort of take a look at our free downloads and see what's interesting to you. Download our free demo if you want to see how you can use this in the classroom and what it's like to navigate it. And then talk to me, um, you know, on LinkedIn, email, whatever works. And we can figure out a way to support you in whatever version of entrepreneurial and, you know, um, experiences you want to create for students.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Oh, well, DeAndrea, I'm so excited to to have you on today. This has been wonderful. And I'm sure our audience resonated with it as author will resonate with it. (laughs) Also, (laughs) But I just I'm so grateful that I've been able to have you on and, and so grateful to have met you. This is wonderful.
1: Thank you so much. Likewise, this has been a pleasure. And I can't wait for the next work that we do together.
0: Me too. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, you too.